Welcome to the week in sports cars. Oh, Lord. It's almost like we <coughs> took a hiatus, Graham Goodwin, where we got tons of rest. And boy, we're all recharged. The reality is I've been on the road now for four weeks straight. You have had a chest cold of unpleasantness fruition proportions meaning big (laughs) and round and ugly um hey love sports cars been hard getting together to make this little duo of a show happen so i apologize to our listeners if there are any of you left we didn't abandon you doing this on a sunday morning uh just got home late last night from indianapolis and so our man goodwin is Happy to set aside dinner time in the UK for us to uh, record this show. Graham, let's say a huge thank you, as always, to our listeners for your questions that power everything that we do. Haven't had a ton of sports car racing going on the last week or two. Oh, that doesn't mean we lack spicy content to discuss. Uh, let's also say a big thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and also our awesome, awesome pals at torontomotorsports.com for all they do to support us. Speaking of, Mr. Chess Cold, how you doing? How you feeling before we get rolling? I'm good. I'm good. Not walked the dog for two weeks again, I'm afraid. So a week in bed, uh, then a week basically struggling back to health uh, with a little bit of uh, pharmaceutical intervention. But, um, you know, first time I've been ill in two years. Fundamentally, by the way, not COVID. So uh, it definitely wasn't that. Uh, it was, of course, a worry, but um, tested uh, multiple times it's not that but it's uh, just a regular everyday real unpleasant uh, chest infection but the lovely trudy and the almost as lovely but certainly furrier oscar have been fantastic companions and uh, did you just say furrier implying there oh my goodness what is going don't get beaten up by your I'm wife not- okay she's, she's 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 a traditional lady what can i say i'm leaving it right there i'm not touching <laughs> that at all um graham good when you do indeed among the many things that you bring to this, I was going to say fine show. I'll edit that to this show. <laughs> uh, you select what categories <clears throat> we uh, we comb through. This week, though, we're doing a little bit of our, uh, our, our quick fire style of recording where we are just going to go with the questiones that we have. That being said... Do you want to choose the first question at least that we start with? So maybe you still feel like you're performing your uh, court mandated <laughs> podcast duties. Well, let's just crack on through. We, we uh, put a rapid call earlier this week for Facebook, and then that didn't happen. So we're going to go with that thread of questions. So if you did put questions in for the shows that were missing, we'll get back onto track for next week's show, I'm sure. But for the moment, we're going to start off with Status Cocogianis. Cocogianis. Thank you very much. Status yes, Coco, yes. Status Coco. Um, and Status asks, Porsche LMDH 2022 at Le Mans. Would you bet on it? Seems more likely than by Collis, he says. Uh, any thoughts? I mean, I've, I've got some significant thoughts on this one. Yeah, well, if only Status had thrown in esports in here uh, i think by Collis <laughs> would indeed uh beat portion that regard so there's one little caveat here stathis to consider and that is hey those spec kinetic energy recovery systems for all lmdhs when do those arrive uh, know that f- intent wise everyone's meant to go live with their lmdhs 
using those spec curs units in 2023 letting and this would have to be a let this would have to be an allowance from the fiwc aco and i would say imsa as well since uh, all three are in on this lmdh formula there would have to be an exception given for porsche to try and compete at the 24 hours of Le Mans next year with an lmdh do we think <laughs> the growing list of manufacturers in this class would allow sure you go get uh a lamont in before us with your car and yeah we just hope to catch up with you and hopefully not be completely destroyed when the formula properly launches in 2023 what are the odds you'd put on that graham i think fairly limited i think the other thing to chuck into the mix here is peugeot now we don't yet have a confirmed date for peugeot's 9x8 to uh, to debut, but you, you can be pretty certain that they will be aiming to try to get the car to the grid for the Le Mans 24 hours. Are they going to be very pleased on the debut of their brand new car, uh, which, by the way, they are committing to the full season in 2022, although won't contest all the races? Um, you think they'd be very pleased, and would they be giving any kind of uh, any buys, if you like, to uh, Porsche to do that? I think the answer is no. Uh, were there to be a position where there is no Peugeot for the Le Mans 24 hours, and depending on what else uh, happens in terms of the the hypercar grid, we don't yet know what the status of the Alpine effort is next next year or beyond. Uh, by Collis, is it a real program? It fundamentally is a real program. Let's get that one sorted first. Is it uh, exactly as described uh, you may have read elsewhere? Not quite, is the straight answer. A bit more of that as and when I can bring it to you. Uh, I'm expecting that car to be on the grid for a full season of uh, FIWC next season. It's possible. And that's the correct word to use. It is possible. Do I expect to see two cars? Uh, certainly not for the full season. Um, it does strike me that if there was a commercial opportunity for the good doctor uh, to bring his second car for Le Mans and he had them available, maybe. But there's an awful lot of if, buts and maybes around the hypercar class in 2022 from top to bottom. The only one, as far as I'm concerned at the moment, that is a given that it will be there is Toyota. Beyond that, there are questions and multiply layered questions about just about every other possibility from Alpine, from Glickenhaus, from Porsche. I simply don't expect for the reasons you actually suggest there and by Collis and should anybody else kind of emerge from the shadows. But uh, I think the answer at the moment is it's going to be a slightly fallow year in hypercar. I expect it to be a significantly better year uh, elsewhere on that grid. Well, that's a question that's answers. I think we just did our job, so I feel good. I'm a little bit of a service dog. Hey. Let's see. Why don't we go to our pal Ricky Zagata uh, with Detroit moving off Belle Isle in the future. What does that mean for IMSA? Something about the new downtown track layout as an, has a NASCAR feel to it. Uh, it says, hashtag me personally. Uh, is there a chance of a NASCAR street race on the billing? Well, for those who might not have seen, and it was by no means large international news, our friends that run the Detroit Grand Prix, the folks who run that also happen to own the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, own the NTT IndyCar Series, and run teams in IndyCar, NASCAR, and will be soon in IMSA with Porsche, that being Roger Penske. 
uh, announcement that they have made a request to shift, Graham, the annual 100-minute Detroit Grand Prix sports car event from Belle Isle, which is a beautiful little park in the river uh, just off of uh, downtown Detroit, move it back to the site of the former F1 and very briefly Kart IndyCar Series uh, events that were held downtown from, I think, 1982 to 1991. I think they're going to get approval for it. The track, as Ricky alludes to here, it's a lot of straightaways and then some 90-degree corners and then more straightaways. It's not the most complex thing, unlike the one of old, which was pretty darn cool. As for it having any meaning related to NASCAR coming in, I'd I'd be surprised, but hey, uh, I'm often surprised. Main thing here, though, Ricky, is yes, as I understand, there should be no change in IMSA or any of the other support series. Trans Am uh, has been a, a guest uh, on the bill there as well. So I don't think there's going to be any real changes here. Um, so, yeah, on that front, no, it's just wanting to move from where they were in the past, where they've been at this new venue, Belle Isle, actually since early 90s, just wanted to try and go back and make it more of a street race. Motivation here, Graham, and I'll be curious to see if this comes more to light in the U.S. and who knows, maybe elsewhere. IndyCar was very moved by what happened in August's Nashville Music Grand Prix. Debut event, uh, downtownish streets of Nashville, running across a bridge there, which I think made some, uh, some international highlights. Just a very unique thing. They were really moved by how huge the response was. And so I think it's interesting. I don't know if this is something sports car organizations would also follow suit because sports cars and street races haven't really been a giant thing in terms of growth and new venues added worldwide for a while. But um, be curious to see. The, the reasoning behind this is, hey, going to this downtown spot really seemed to bring a lot of energy, a lot of fans, a lot of everything. Maybe we need to go back from this park setting, this beautiful little city park that we use at Belle Isle, and chuck it back in the middle of downtown, maybe that will add some energy to things. Just again, it'll be curious to see as motor racing in general tries to find a, uh, a bigger audience, if more sanctioning bodies will start to do something similar. Hey, uh, we're not going to ask you to drive 45 minutes out into the wilderness to find this track. We're going to drop it in your backyard. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. I think it's a, a smart play. I don't know if it's going to succeed but I like where they're going with this uh, this mindset. Okay, Coke, moving on. Uh, we've got a couple of questions. I'm going to run them in a couple of different ways. Andrew Henderson uh, asks, any news on where EBM goes after the fiasco with Hardpoint? Ryan Terpstra uh, asks a specific question about uh, someone you might say is a market competitor of yours and mine. Uh, uh, well, let's call him JD. Let's do that. And ask if he's bad at his job. I'm going to answer the second part first. The answer is, he's not bad at his job. Depends on what you regard his job as being. If if the job is to direct traffic towards his uh, media outlet for which uh, he then draws commercial gain, he's very good at that job. Uh, He does it in a variety of ways, not all of which, as I've said before, I 
entirely personally approve of but he's not bad at his job as for the EPM um, hard point fiasco as described by Andrew what say you MP can only give you external commentary on this we should wind the uh, the old clockety clock back here a minute or so and get to the main topic for those who weren't aware Monday press release statement however you want to put it a formal presentation from team hardpoint hardpoint motorsports owned by owner driver rob ferial he and Catherine leg share porsche 911 gt3r in him says weathertech sports car championship gtd class news official news from the team the beginning of the week that they had severed ties with immediate effect with Will Bamber, call it team manager of the uh, Hardpoint slash EBM, Earl Bamber Motorsports collaboration that came together beginning to run the 2021 season together. We'll get to the reason for it in just a sec, but feel the need to mention this at the outset. Had there been no issues, uh, related to Will Bamber or anything else, I still have very strong confidence that this relationship was coming to an end at the end of the season here. This is just not something that has worked to a point of wanting to continue. have known about that for a little while. So this was headed towards a breakup already. News confirmation fact-based information from Team Hardpoint to start the week, relationship with EBM, primarily pivoting off of Will Bamber, uh, brother of the multiple Le Mans winner, etc., factory Porsche driver, Earl Bamber, severed immediately due to Rob Ferriol learning that Will had been arrested in Ormond Beach, Florida. I believe the date was August 29th. Earlier this week, again, I apologize if I'm not having the exact date in front of me, but roughly one month after that arrest took place for domestic battery, domestic abuse, violence towards his girlfriend, learning of that on his own nearly one month later, Rob Ferriol, fired will severed the relationship with ebm those are all factual items will bamber was arrested i have seen and read the arrest report it is written very plainly there domestic battery slash domestic abuse this was not reported to his employer his employer learned of this on his own acted immediately to sever everything little sidebar here this is just a little bit of context to take in with the imsa effort this porsche effort with Catherine leg although it has not worked out exactly as desired graham the intent for this program from its outset was to have women racers women in the car a women racing women's racing initiative to grow, promote, and build, uh, to have more women in motor racing. 
So if you understand the underlying premise and purpose for the program, it is as positive as can be for women in racing to then have the team manager of that program arrested for domestic battery against a woman. One might understand the immediate and swift action taken by the hard point people not saying you would necessarily agree or disagree on that action. I'm just saying you might understand the reason for them choosing to do that immediately. Two days later, I believe two days, maybe three direct press release and outreach from Will Bamber's side, uh, from his lawyer, friend, I think of the paddock, friend of many, Dustin Heseltine, saying, hey, here's some, I'm just, I'm going to keep using factual because this is what I've limited at least my reporting to. Here is the official uh, court document saying, <coughs> excuse me, that all charge, or the charge against Will Bamber has been dropped. So there is nothing going forward from uh, Florida, the state's attorney and such, everything has been dropped. I could not get a straight answer on what the terms were. There was some form of uh, uh, agreement between Will and state's attorney. You must complete this thing, uh, and then all any and all charges will be dropped. There was only one charge. Um, I believe it was some, I believe some form of, Online course is what I was told Will was required to do. Was not, I asked and was not told what that course was. We could assume it would be something that fell into the range of what he was charged with. But that's an assumption nonetheless. All this stuff being said, beginning of the week, we've discussed the learning of this and the action taken by Team Hardpoint, Rob Ferriel. Two, three days later, a Similarly, official document saying everything has been dropped, totally free and clear. End of the story in terms of the legal uh, judicial side related to Will Bamber. In that press release, there were vast words uh, offered from Will from his girlfriend, who was a team employee, their team logistic coordinator. And this was not an EBM employee. I'm just to be clear, this was a hard point employee. Uh, She was not named in the first uh, hard point item. She was named in the release from the Bambers. And going as far as including a quote from her father, vouching for Will's character, all denials that any physical abuse took place, all denials that any battery took place, phrased as a a misunderstanding, et cetera, et cetera. So two very clear outreaches and communications. And with uh, this is another fact, coming off of three straight race weekends, knowing that uh, we're, pretty busy at home and then also having to fly out on Friday for Robin Miller's memorial yesterday in Indy. 
I did not have any time to do more than report the straight facts. Didn't have time to dig in and what really happened and what went down and let's do an investigation, insidery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just wasn't even an option. As I mentioned to Racer's editor, I'm thankful for that because it appears someone else did have some time and made an ass out of themselves based on the input I have received. So I didn't bother looking at or reading any of that content. I pretty much never do. I don't care. Um, I can tell you that both sides, <laughs> right? This is a bit of a rare unifying item. Both sides said they were varying degrees of mortified, embarrassed, or whatever else you want to call it for the aforementioned reporting uh, elsewhere. And so I don't know what it was. I didn't look. I don't care. It d truly doesn't matter to me. I just know that from what I have heard, those who chose to report on this and stick to the straight facts probably did themselves a favor. All I know is that uh, everything I've heard is that someone truly, truly shot themselves repeatedly over and over again in the foot and that's all i can add to this oh dear um so multiple gunshot wounds to the feet that uh, it would seem is the that, that's not the issue with will bamber that's uh, that your assessment of the sort of the media coverage let's move on to something altogether happier jose tapia says imsa with the season mostly over, what's the verdict on LMP3 in the WeatherTech Championship? Hashtag me personally, says Jose. He says field filler and nothing more. Yeah, I hear you. There was a very specific let's fill the field motivation, inspiration, and other sprations, uh, Jose, when it comes to inserting LMP3 into the WeatherTech Championship. Need the numbers. That's where we're going to get them. We hope in the near future, LMDH, what we've now learned is, is going to be GTD Pro, that we will bolster the numbers. Don't necessarily need LMP3 in theory if the numbers come up a year or two from now. Ask that question almost the moment after it was formally presented, Jose. Asked him, say, hey, so this has got a very short window, right? Like a year or two? And was told, Meh, no, actually, we're meant to do this for a little while. Here's the takeaway I would let visit with you. With the demise of LMPC, with the demise of a, I would say, real entry-level prototype class, in the top IMSA championship, uh, I think LMP3 is going to be here to stay to serve that purpose. Now we could say, well, isn't LMP2 an entry-level class? It was a long, long time ago. <laughs> Back when it was called LMP675, when some of you probably weren't even born. For what LMP2s are today, holy cow, Graham Goodwin. Those are no joke. And granted, they weren't back when they were 
uh, Porsche RS Spiders, Acura ARX01, this is and that. Yep. Um, it's been a while since I think any of us could say, yeah, throw a true Pro-Am driver into an LMP2 and it would not be significantly over their head. That's where P3, Jose, I think is going to be here for a while. Uh, it serves that purpose as that bridge. It'd be interesting, though, to see, Graham, uh, does this class grow, right? Does this class continue to grow? Do we get two to three more full-time entries next year? If we do, I think we're talking about su- sustainability, vitality, and, and yeah. whatnot. If it's the same full-season count as we have right now, maybe plus one, I think we start to come back to Jose's premise and go, well, uh, it's meant to do something, but I don't know if it's actually growing and proving that it's uh, it's doing that thing. I think certainly the numbers, I think IMSA would probably on reflection say they were disappointed by the full season number. I'd, I'd add one thing, and I don't disagree with a single word you've said, MP, which is when you look at the, the major international entities in the sports car racing you tend to kind of get them divided down by those series that build up their entry from the bottom and the series that basically allow the entry to grow uh, in the, the the kind of glorious bask of the sunshine emitting from the factory entries in the top generally speaking uh, it's been someone like SRO that's done it the first way and WC ACO the second way um LMP3 has been a very good mechanism for growing teams into uh, onwards and upwards. In particular, to LMP2, which, as you say, is you know a multi-million dollar budget for a full season for LMP2 now. Um, and obviously, beyond that, uh, we've then got the potential for those teams moving on up into LMDH and Hypercar. I'll give you this much before moving on, which is I'm currently talking to uh, an entity that is actively considering a multi-year plan to go sports car racing at the highest level, and their chosen method of entry is not LMP2, but LMP3, and potentially a straight jump from P3 into what possibly might be the LMDH in about three years' time. It's good area, um, Ferrari. <laughs> but, yeah, it, why? I guess the, the, the point here is, in, in, a, in a year, in a period where... We've discussed multiple times on the Weekend Sports Cars MP the fact that the the numbers per class in the IMSA WeatherTech Cham- uh, Sports Car Championship have not been overly impressive. Why would you close the door to something that could make a difference if you don't have to? Why would you do that? And frankly, even if you see it as grid filler, nothing wrong with having a full grid or a fuller grid. Um, you know, yes, the cavalry is coming. But let this breathe and let's see whether or not we get the odd team or two or driver or two using this as a stepping stone to display what they've got, show they've got something a bit special and attract something bigger and better in a year or two years time. That strikes me as being common sense. Yeah. And the other just little thing to close here maybe is I know that I was way off in my expectation that the P3 cars would be unreliable over a 24-hour event also concerned that uh with the more ammy ams in the pro-am class that boy this this has the potential of getting bad and and cars in the way and whether it's causing wrecks or ruining races and 
I, I got to admit, I think I'm at a 100% perfection rate when it comes to failure <laughs> on a prediction for this. <laughs> Not saying that every LMP3 car <clears throat> has just been perfect and moved out of the way of the leaders and blah, blah, blah. Again, not saying they haven't made a minor nuisance at times, but for the most part, I am so wildly happy for how well the class has integrated into the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Graham. And whatever my fears were at the beginning of the season so far, they have not been uh, played out, borne out. I've been totally wrong. And that makes me really happy. So I hope that continues. And if that's the case, yeah, all right. Kind of ugly, and they're not really as mind-blowingly fast as we would hope prototypes would be. But if you're bringing more teams, more cars, grooming more drivers in the top category, and you are doing it without being a real hindrance on the rest of the race, I'm finding, uh, I'm struggling to re- find real arguments to make against them being there. Yep, fair point. So, moving on. Yeah, let me me read something to you. Um, Where shall we go here? Uh, Chris Humphreys, so do you guys see us growing the Le Mans grid over 62 cars after the new pits are built in 23 to, say, help support a large, I don't know, hypercar slash LMDH slash GT3 grid? A lot of stuff packed into that question from Chris. Absolutely. So, Chris, uh, by the way, one of our uh, our marshals uh, in the UK, one of our corner workers in US parlance, yes. uh, carry on what you're doing, Chris, the Orange Army, hashtag. Um, I don't think we're going to get the new pits. I think that's kind of rather bit in the dust with the COVID issues. Uh, I think if that work was going to start, it would have started this year. I don't think we're going to see certainly the as-planned development at Le Mans, which was indeed plan to get that entry towards 65 cars whether or not there is another option to achieve that we will hear in due course and i'm sure they would like to do that because i think they're expecting it to be significantly oversubscribed when we get to 2023 24 and uh, into that era where not only have we got the cavalry coming in the top class but also the gt3 based uh class in what will then be gt something am or just gt something uh, so I think the answer is it stays at 62 unless there is another plan that we've not yet heard about. Uh, and bear in mind, this year they got 62 entries for those 62 places. So it does need a substantial turnaround worldwide uh, for things to kind of get moving again. Um, so there is a bit of hashtag wait and see on that front as well. Um, and we'll wait and see whether or not Pierre Fion tells us anything different to that Last time I asked, he said they were going to be discussing uh, the time frame for the works, and we have heard nothing since, and that is about a year ago. So the reality is, if they've green-lighted that, that work, uh, they're doing it very stealthily, as in you can't see the work going on. I do have people that work with me um, that are very close to the uh, Le Mans 24 hours family and people that live locally as well so that i don't think that works happening i think we're at 62 and waiting to see whether or not they're going to put up uh, a few easy ups and um you know water coolers and whether or not they'll go sort of native all a bit sebring but i don't think so 10-4 let me find another one for you that i don't know i'm going to try and find a sexy one um Ooh. yeah i know uh, well i know we got some imps in here 
let's see. By the way, I'm conscious we didn't answer the second part of the question about EBM. EBM does obviously have, or did have, two programs with Hardpoint, one of which was the Carrera Cup uh, USA side, the other one's the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Cup Championship. EBM also has significant interests in Asia. Of course, that's one area where they'll be struggling to put uh, programs together. Um, but they have run a GT3 car in Europe, an EBM uh, branded car at the Spa 24 Hours this year. I will catch up at some point with uh, Earl and Will Bamber and find out what the score is there. But I do know they had other plans beyond, you know, at that stage in addition to the IMSA program. And I don't expect that's any different. When we go to uh, Jens Jensen, says, is it time for ACO championships to demand the qualifying driver to start the race like they do in IMSA? After all, the first stint angers in uh, the first stint angers in position shuffling, yeah. not only at Spa but Asian Le Mans Series too, uh, because the yep. pro driver qualifies and lowest ranked driver typically starts. So, uh, what says okay. you there? Um, no, it's a straight answer. I don't agree. Uh, I, I get the point that when you've got a bit of a mess that you get at uh, Spa, where if you didn't see that MP, that was uh, our friend Sally Yolok in the uh, racing team Turkey, Orica taking out a couple of cars at Turn 1, causing a bit of chaos there in Carnage. That removed from the championship fight one Roman Rusinov, who then became a very angry Russian man indeed. Um, so it was all a bit unfortunate. I think that's just part of the cut and thrust of what you get with um, Pro-Am Racing. It's the straight answer. Are there better answers than we've currently got? Probably. Um, but I think the reality is you've just got to trust. These are all grown-ups. You've got to trust them to be grown-ups. Um, you know, it is not uh, unknown for there to be uh, some carnage um, um, at... Arnage. At, at, um, Sorry. At, well, indeed, carnage at Arnage. Um, it's not unknown for Turn 1 at Spa to see trouble. You've just got to hope that people are... You know, heads up enough and grown up enough to stay out of that. And in this case, I'm afraid one or two of them didn't. Um, but I, I'm not a fan of, as regular listeners will understand, uh, of overregulation of these things. There are lots of reasons why you might want your lowest ranked driver in at the start of the race. Oddly enough, not least of which is that there's more likelihood of there being some kind of incident that means effectively they can burn their drive time. Um, so there's all sorts of things in the mix here, but no, I don't think we're at a stage where I would like to see yet another rule coming in and taking away the choices of those drivers and teams in the way in which they wish to run a you know, multi-driver, multi-class race. Um, that's my personal preference. My personal preference is as open a rule book as you possibly can. I like to see genius in the car i like to see genius on the pit wall and i like to see genius on pit lane in the garage as well and the less we allow that to happen the less depth i think our sport has i'm going to grab two here monsieur goodwin mm -hmm. and then why don't we have you grab whatever your choice is for the okay. final so that gives you a minute or two to pick and find uh one to close the show on so one here from our friend, a good friend of mine, old friend of mine, Todd Telford, a local okay. reporter here in the Bay Area for many, many years. Saw him recently at the uh, Monterey IndyCar race, so great to see Todd. He says, can you please explain the performance differences between LMH and LMDH and the methods mm -hmm. used by the ACO and IMSA to equalize them both? 
How do they compare on a long straight under braking through a medium speed corner and through a fast corner? Also says in WEC, which track favors one over the other. I absolutely uh, love, well, I'll take this one, brother. Um, yeah. I love yeah, yeah. all the questions here, Todd. There's only one minor thing keeping me from answering it. We do not have an LMDH yet that has been on track that has gone through medium speed corners, long straights, uh, fast corners. Uh, we have not had them equalized yet, and we have not seen the two types of cars on track to know what WEC type circuit would favor one over the other. So this is something we can certainly answer maybe later next, maybe this time next year, but we have a mild issue where one of the two types of cars uh, does not physically exist in a fully running capacity, meaning having that spec hybrid system that I mentioned earlier in the show for LMDH. So uh, it's a bit like asking how does today's, IndyCar compared to the next generation IndyCar in terms of performance and all these things. Got to get one of them on track uh, to know. So um, would love to uh, answer that or will answer this as soon as we can. The uh, the last one I'm going to grab, Graham, before passing off to you yep. to answer whichever one you want and close the show for us as you do with just beauty and aplomb. Brad Bryan asked a question that uh, it is very simple and straightforward. And, oh, it's spicy in terms of the real answer. He says, why doesn't IMSA team up with IndyCar on more weekends? <sighs> well, how should we say this, Graham? Hey, there's going to be a team up next year. Um, a Texas Motor Speedway IndyCar Oval event and the 12 Hours of Sebring. They're teaming up on that weekend. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not something that IMSA wants or half of the IndyCar teams want because in the name of getting a network broadcast date, IndyCar has moved what has traditionally been a June event, Graham, for the Texas Oval uh, IndyCar event to the middle of March, right on top of the 12 hours of Sebring weekend. So, it's a specific thing I'm citing here, Brad. I can tell you that whatever collegial, hey, I know that IndyCar has ovals, but for the most part, most of its calendars, road and street courses, hey, we do road and streets, you do road and streets. You know, we have these two events that we do together each year, that being Long Beach Street, Detroit Street Race. Maybe we could do some more. I would say IndyCar's willful decision to drop a not overly significant race onto one of IMSA's two biggest race weekends, knowing that a serious number of IndyCar teams will also have sports car programs taking part in the 12 hours of Sebring. And that I think at last count eight to nine, Graham of the what we assume might be 27 to 28 drivers uh, competing at that Texas Oval race will have to be flying back and forth like mad to do sessions in both all because IndyCar decided we know this is your big weekend and admittedly we don't care 
We're looking out for ourselves. This is what we're doing. You deal with it. I think that broke something here, Brad. I think that broke that let's respect each other. We know <laughs> we know where Sebring falls every year, Graham, right? We might not know the exact date, but we know look to the middle of March. Just like we know with Daytona, look to the end of January. Hey, where does Lamont fall? Yeah, right around the middle of June. We know these things. And yet there's been some form of it's been received, I know, like a bit of a hostility, like a straight-up, hey, we always try to not land on each other's big events, and here you are telling us that one of your non-special events, this isn't IndyCars, oh my gosh, we have to move this pillar event. This, And I'm not downplaying the quality or the meaning, Graham, of the visit to Texas Motor Speedway. I'm just saying, eh, <laughs> put it in March, put it in August, put it wherever, doesn't really matter. Uh, this has changed something, Brad. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know that whatever willingness IMSA might have had beforehand to say let's do more together with IndyCar, uh, I think this has really truly stressed the relationship in, in a fairly fundamental way and not a good way. So this is why... I don't anticipate IMSA teaming up uh, to give us more double-header IndyCar weekends. Last little thing to add here, and to my knowledge, it has nothing to do with being a double-header. As we've spoken about on the show before, Graham, I think put in, put in print as well, there are ongoing talks for IMSA to race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, something owned by Roger Penske, who owns IndyCar. Unaware of that having any open wheel component to that event i believe it would be a straight pure imsa there being the the top bill event that's about the only new thing i know or newish thing that i know of but that's been in talks long before indycar made the decision to drop texas on top of sebring so i would expect the ims endurance race to go forward because it's something that's good for both entities but i don't think imsa Brad is going to be looking for more events to double up with IndyCar where they are always the, uh, the second on the, uh, on the promotional bill. So off to you, Mr. Goodwin. Right. Let's uh, finish it off with a couple of quick fire ones. Brandon Bird says, are the new hydrogen rules written to be fuel cell only or can our hydrogen combustion system also compete? The answer is the former. Um, the, a spec chassis, spec powertrain, the one thing that a factory will bring to it. And we said before, we expect the first takers liked it by Hyundai. And that would be 2025. Um, it's a fuel cell stack is what uh, they're talking about there. James Counter says, with Conrad, Franz Conrad, getting hold of a Ginetta LMP3, do you think its use might pick up? Why does Ligier seem to be doing some dominant the LMP3 market? I think the answer is, and you will have, I, I, I hoped to do another Ginetta P3 story last week. There will be another Ginetta P3 snippets, I hope, in the next couple of days, Daily Sports Car. But uh, the reality is, Ligier simply do a very, very good job. They do a great job in building those cars, a great job of customer support in those cars. Um, and they have an impressive uh, support network uh, at the tracks at which those cars appear, including on your side of the pond uh, as well, MP. 
To finish, though, let's have a quick look here. And that was what I missed here. Where is it? My apologies. Um, oh, Kevin Kemp says, what's the latest on Privateer, LMH and LMDH entries for 2023 in either series? It's developing. It's coming together. Teams, owners, drivers, sponsors are trying to grapple with the reality of what we don't know. We don't yet know what the full budgets are going to be. We don't yet know what the calendars are going to be at that point either, which has a distinct impact on uh, on the budgets for um, the WEC for certain. Uh, what we do know is that there is significant interest, whether or not that be the relatively small group of teams that are angling for those factory deals, whether or not it is the ones that maybe don't get to sit down when the music stops trying to get a semi-factory deal. What might that look like? That might be an engine supply, etc. That would still mean a significant uptick in terms of the budgets. And then you've got the others that are looking at whether or not they uh, wish to be a pure uh, customer team. They don't yet know whether or not 24 or 25 might see the uh, LMDHs in particular expand into maybe a program class in the LMS, etc. So there's lots we don't know. What I can tell you is that there are there is a number of teams that are looking at the potential for privateer entries. That number is not one, it's not two, but neither is it 20, neither is it 15. Um, we're getting into, it's, I'd, I'd suggest the high single figures of teams that are realistically looking at pulling together the budgets for a individual or multi-car uh, hypercar slash LMDH uh, effort in one series or another. And the likelihood is that if that's the number we're talking about at the moment, that number will come down. The key part from, uh, from WEC for next season is keep an eye out as to who is doing what and where whether or not that is in the European Le Mans series, whether or not it is in the WEC or elsewhere, look for some new names coming into cars that, and by this I mean teams, into cars that they possibly haven't run before or certainly haven't run the numbers of cars that they're running. There is news to come, much of it very positive. Um, I do think, by the way, along the way, we're going to lose a couple of teams. I do think a couple of teams are going to decide that's too rich for our blood and, you know, we'll cash in our chips and we'll be gone by 2023-2024. Which comes in, by the way, to the, the uh, other outstanding question is, what is the future for LMP2? Certainly, whilst we've got a little bit of time for people to think about that, we're getting to the point where the teams that run LMP2 cars are now going to think, do we push for a massively increased budget for LMDH? Do we fold with what we've got? Uh, or do we look at what that new formula, uh, LMP2 formula, might look like and the budgets might look like and shoot for that by the time we can get stuck in for 2024? All of those are still questions that are in the box marked unknown. That's it for now. That's a quick fire version of the Weekend Sports Cards. It has been good to be back. 
we will be get, getting back onto the regular train next week for sure. So be a question call going out, we hope, on Monday across the usual social media channels. Please look out for that. And uh, the pair of us will get our thinking caps on and get stuck in with that. For now, with thanks again to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and of course to TorontoMotorsports.com. He's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We will see you next week. It is already next week. <laughs>